If you're thinking about starting a podcast, let us tell you about Anchor. First off, it's free, and you can record and edit your show through your computer or phone, or import your show from whatever recording software you already use. Anchor will then distribute your show for you so it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And probably the best part, you can start making money with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to start a podcast from start to finish in one place, and it was a super easy switch for us. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. Welcome back to LA Not So Confidential. This is Dr. Scott. I am here with the lovely and evil Dr. Shiloh with the gorgeous skin. She's catching up on me with your self-induced. What did you do? You did like the... Oh, it's time to do microneedling again. This is my weekend. It's been six weeks. Yeah, it looks good. I could tell a difference. It looks good. (laughs) Thanks. I'm going to keep at it. Session number four this weekend. Oh my God. I don't know how you, I I had to have my whole face numbed to get that stuff done. And you're just like happily poking away at yourself in the bathroom. I numb it now myself, but here, usually we have our little like esthetician's corner on get vocal and we have now brought it to full on LA not so confident. Okay. We'll, we'll move away very quickly. Everybody welcome back though. I know we've been kind of off for the last couple of months. There's been major life events for both of us that we've been dealing with and we're just glad to be back. We were like trying to figure out how to record like, I know. What? What? I can't what? hear you. what's happening? I can't hear <laughs> Um, but we have a lot to talk about, so let's jump into it. First of all, we're just both exhausted and high from our event last night. Tell us what happened, Dr. Shiloh. So last night was our downtown LA haunted slash true crime walking tour with the Real Los Angeles Tour Company. It exceeded every expectation I had. It yeah. was you I am still literally on a high from it. It was so much fun, so well done. And to just meet people who are listeners was the best thing ever. That was actually the best part for me. I'm I'm kind of speechless. Like I felt like I was able to connect with just about everybody. There were there were two people that I did not get a chance to spend as much time with. But everybody else there was, it was so great to connect with. I, I can't believe how far people came. We had people coming in from San Diego, from Palmdale, and for anybody that lives in California, like, you know, anything having to do in Southern California yeah. is a major commitment to get anywhere. So yeah, Palm we just Desert, appreciate it. Yeah. Like those are two hour drives and they were, the one couple stayed down in LA and mostly everyone was heading back afterwards, but Really, like, I feel like you and I did not hang out and talk much because we were kind of just like hanging out with all the people and trying to mill around as much as you can during a walking tour. Um, But we really want to say thank you to our patrons and the other listeners that showed up. That includes Susan, Pia, Susie, Adrian, Melissa, Jen, 
Trisha and Sienna from Two Girls on a Bench. The, their podcast, their writers, they are hilarious. Um, and then Madeline and Melanie, and then their partners and friends that they brought with them, just made for a wonderful group. So I think the other aspect to what made it so great, besides just being with new friends, I don't even feel like I can call uh, I, I, it's listeners. Listeners, I'm not going to say fans because that feels weird to think that like, I, I don't know. I just felt like immediate friendship and kinship with all these people. And that was really great. And then we have this amazing, God, I use the word amazing way too much. But in this case, it's completely spot on. Chris, our tour guide, was literally the best we could possibly have hoped for and beyond, right? Yeah. I was yeah. completely expecting this to be two-thirds less of what it was. It I really a was. lot in there. We, I mean, it was three hours. We did have like a half hour where we could grab some food and cocktails at this cool arcade area downtown. Um but he packed so much in there. You could have really, I thought maybe we're going to hit like four of those things. And stories I'm telling and places. You, I'm telling yes. you, this guy, and he's from Atlanta. He's a transplant to LA. He loves Los Angeles. This guy is an expert on architecture, LA history, true crime history, some paranormal stuff. And even local flora and fauna. We were talking about by the end of the night, he and I were talking about invasive species in Southern California, and it was a fascinating discussion. So like Chris, start a podcast. (laughs) And his response was, I don't have time because he's doing so much. And we none of us have time for it, Chris. I know. Exactly. Make it happen. Make it happen. But But just like you and I work down there, and so we're there all the time. But then I'm like, oh, from this parking lot, caddy corner across the street from the Cecil, you can actually get a view of the water tanks. And I've never right. seen them because I'm always just looking straight up at it. So stuff like that for even you and I who are down there all the time was awesome. Yeah, it was really great. So I we can't say enough good things about him. You'll see him on our links and the photos that we put up on social media. We will be scheduling another event within the next couple of months or start yeah. setting it up at least. Um, it was a beautiful kind of mildly sultry night in downtown Los Angeles. I think the next one we're going to try and get like a, a sort of a bus tour so we can ride around to different crime locations. But definitely we want to use Chris again uh, because he was just really great. Very good. Yes. Yeah. So we also have committed to an event in September. We are going to be at the Savannah Crime Expo on September 25th in Savannah, Georgia. So we're coming south. It's a one-day event. We will have an LA Not So Confidential booth. And then we will also be there with a big booth for Santa Maybe, a criminal, a new podcast that is coming to you this holiday season that we're a part of. So we're very excited to sort of kick that off and get people excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be cool. And also, I mean, Savannah just has a rich... Southern Gothic history of crime and many, many alleged paranormal events. I remember my husband, Dan, working there on a movie years ago, and he said, like, and he's not, he's sort of agnostic about paranormal stuff. And he said, even I walking down the streets, you just feel that there's something else here. I mean, because there's just such history. I mean, it's, it's such an integral part of American history. Yeah. Can't wait to visit city. I've always wanted to go to definitely. So another just note, I'm so glad that you put this up, is that 
We are really diligent about putting show notes up for all of the references and citations that we use, which is the ethical and professional thing to do in this type of podcast where we're providing education as well as commentary and opinion. But our website design that we chose doesn't facilitate it really well. And we're working with now finding another format on that platform that will make it easier for people to scroll through all the references and citations without literally having to push the scroll yeah. button over and over and over again. It'll it'll link to another place where you can get the show notes and it'll just be easier. So yeah, because there's a lot. Up, yeah, we haven't put up the last few episodes. We will get all that up. And we have it available if anybody just, in fact, if anybody's like, hey, I want the citations from two episodes ago, send us an email. I'll be glad to send you the APA format for it. There you go. (laughs) Yes, under construction. All right. What are we talking about today? So once again, how many times have I said this? We pick a subject that is interesting to me and go down a rabbit hole and I end up learning something completely unexpected. The subject this week is stolen valor, and the what piqued my interest is a, a recent thing that came up in the news because, as most of you know, Dr. Shiloh and I started out working in the treatment of sex offenders and people who would be collectors of child sexual images uh, many, many years ago. And so that always piqued my interest when I see crimes that come up, and there's a recent one where a guy who was presenting himself as a retired SEAL, a Navy SEAL, who was caught for not only producing child sex images, but also for kidnapping and sexual assault. And, you know, just I was thinking, what a horrible combination of a military. And then, of course, he's faking his record. So there's a whole many different layers to it. So going into this, I wanted to ask you, so, oh, wait, well, stolen valor, for those of you who don't know, the term stolen valor means asserting that you have military credits, whether you are military or not military. And those are two different categories that have some overlapping similarities, but very different real-world consequences. And we'll, we'll go into that more. So, Shiloh, what did you expect going into this? I don't, I, I had not really heard it Capsulated is that term, and I will kind of get into like when this really became a big deal, or at least I will in some of my sections. But, you know, I had always heard of it more of people in, I know you said there's sort of two categories, but people in the one category that were in the military, but then sort of fake like how bitchin' they were in the military, <laughs> for lack of a better term, you know? Right. And and I know we've heard stories like that. I know through, you know, some other true crime stories, we have heard that. And to me, it always just adds an element of like, like you were leading with this Navy SEAL case of this has to be part of that, that criminal thinking that's going on with this individual. Now, it's way beyond that. I mean, there's people who don't necessarily engage in criminal behavior, but are still lying for all these other reasons, which is incredibly interesting psychologically. What are they getting out of it? Why are they doing that? Exactly. And there's so many different factors. Yeah, that's fascinating. What surprised me is I came into this immediately assuming that the most egregious and the most proliferant or the majority of these cases were going to be individuals who were not military, pretending to have military credits. 
And what I found in the research is that that's not actually accurate at all. It is military who have really inflated. Right. And in, in, in a lot of egregious cases, they have falsified records. I mean, they have gone out and forged phony documents and they wear, you know, medals that they've gotten from a pawn shop. And they've used it not only to climb the ranks within the military, but also within law enforcement and in politics or to sort of create a persona for themselves within the community for whatever gains. So I just thought that it was really interesting because I went to an unexpected space. I thought we were going to talk about this as a black and white issue of non-military presenting to be as military, but in many cases, this is really, really complex. Mm -hmm. And it kind of boils down to a military mindset and expectations versus really the frailty and humanity of mankind. We have tendencies to not be our best in certain situations. And in these cases, people who I think in, in a very few cases really fool themselves, but for the most part, they start a lie And then they have to lie to support the lie and then lie to support the lie to support the lie. And then they can't extricate themselves from it. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. Yeah. You gave me a couple of things to start with. And so one of the things that comes up in their research about some of the cases about this that do actually get adjudicated within the military or within some uh, non-military courts because of laws that have been passed is the idea of fraud. So fraud as defined in the United States, and this is from the website Justia, which is a really great source if you know if you want to go back and fresh your ideas on your high school civics class. So fraud is a deliberate scheme to obtain financial or similar gain by using false statements, misrepresentations, concealment of important information, or deceptive conduct. This is all known as fraud. Fraud typically involves getting property to someone who is not legally entitled to that property, but it is different from criminal offenses categorized as theft. So fraud is therefore considered a form of white-collar crime, which differentiates from most forms of theft. The other thing that's a really key issue is scheme or artifice, and it's the key element of a fraud offense. So instead of an actual wrongful acquisition of property, it means that a person can be found guilty of fraud even if the scheme does not succeed. So it's all about the intent. If they intended to defraud someone, still we can get them with a crime. It actually, yes, that's a really good specification because it it seems like that's more in line with much more serious crimes. So it's not like a misdemeanor that they're just going to push away. It's like, no, what was the intent? Was your intent to defraud someone or defraud the government? So there's fraud against the government and federal laws deal with fraudulent acts targeting specific areas of government separately from fraud that targets private individuals or businesses. And this can include fraud by government contractors, private individuals and businesses, and government employees and officials themselves. So there's another aspect to remember is the the idea of perjury. And perjury, of course, means making false statements of material fact, either when under oath or under penalty of perjury. So those are two sort of close but actually different terms. And it means you've lied to support the lie and you're not backing down or you've been caught in the lie now. Right. So in connection, yeah. So, and that term is particularly important because it can be 
a lot of these cases that we talk about today have to do with receiving monetary benefits and services from assistance programs within the military. And that is definitely fraud and perjury because you're lying about what uh, criteria you met to get that. And the, the case that I'm going to cover, even after this guy goes through trial and people testify against him of for, you know, to prove his lies, he still hangs on to the lie. Like he will not come clean with it. And not that he testified in his own defense and perjured himself, but just hung on to it and keep kept going, which is its own psychological issue. Absolutely. Um, but I, I think this is interesting to look at these motives really as fraud as being one of the big motives here for stolen valor. We can have sort of this personality one that you're going to talk about, but then maybe they are really trying to get something out of it or get something for free. I'll tell you the impression I'm getting is that in many of these cases, it is a weird enmeshed version of a con that then becomes more than just about money. It becomes about the esteem Mm -hmm. that's sort of hitting a button that maybe the con man did not know that they needed to be filled in that manner, that they did not need that kind of button pushed. I I think very clearly there are some people that are doing it for admiration and for respect in the community, but there's a combination of getting the money and getting the attention, I think is a, is a thing unto itself. Interesting. Then there's another, also an area that gets used in this many times. And it's a very common one on the internet is romance scams. And there's a particularly egregious one that actually it almost ruined a military career of a man whose picture was used by Nigerian scammers in several hundred romance scams. Right. And it ruined his girlfriend thought he was cheating on her and that she was running. His family didn't believe him. Really, really bad situation. So, and of course, we know from working with Jules at um, Hong Kong Confidential. Yeah. uh, Romance scammers. Yes, fool me twice. Romance scammers create fake profiles on dating sites and apps, and then they contact their targets through these sites like Instagram, Facebook, or Google Hangouts, if anybody is still there. Uh, The scammers strike up relationships with their targets. They build up trust. And sometimes they're chatting multiple times a day, emailing back and forth. They make up a story. And eventually the long con is they start asking for money. And the most common lies told by romance scammers are that they're living or traveling outside the United States um, and they're either working on an oil rig, they're a doctor with an international organization, or they're in the military. Oh, that's so interesting that those are the three common ones. And and how convenient, right? Like, oh, oh, I've been called away to duty, so... um, And you're a patriot. You know, like, look at you're you're defending the country or look at you're this doctor who is, you know, on an international mission to help people that are in need. You know, so it really is appealing to the heartstrings of um, their targets, their intended targets. So overall, what we're seeing, though, is the main the main drive is rooted in a real sense of disordered personalities. You know, there are some people out there that are doing this just to fuck with people, clearly. Yeah. But usually there's something that's involved in the secondary gain, which involves power, like many people that are running for office will misrepresent their military careers, which is really stupid because now, as we're going to go through these things today, there are three big organizations that are all run by volunteers, and they are on this stuff all the time. Actually, to a point where legit 
veterans get questioned as to whether or not they're faking. So yeah. that's what we get into something a little bit later that is, is kind of challenging. So like we're Very saying, the most common, it is, it is interesting. The most common one is stolen valor within the military. Yes. Yes. So let's look at some laws that would come into play with this. You talked about fraud. And of course we think about, you know, just your, your lowest level jurisdiction that can prosecute somebody and hold them accountable for these crimes. But we are talking about crimes that have to do with national security, crimes that have to do with the military. And, you know, there's that question out there that a lot of people have that I had going into this. Is it a crime to even just mis- misrepresent yourself? Because we know that you can't, it's illegal to represent yourself as a law enforcement officer. You can't do that. And we hear about criminals doing that to perpetrate some of their crimes. So, you know, I see the military and law enforcement so closely woven in a lot of ways that I thought this was interesting to explore. But according to the National Archives Office of Inspector General, why it may be morally reprehensible, it's not usually a crime, actually. The Stolen Valor Act of 2013 makes it a crime for someone to claim they receive certain medals in order to obtain money, property, or some other tangible benefit. So that fraud piece, that deception piece has to be there. And they go on to say that the law only bars false claims about certain military awards, including the Purple Heart, Bronze Star, and a few others, and only when someone makes a false claim about them to gain money or you know, like I said, some other tangible benefit, someone falsely claiming military service in order to just impress someone or brag about it, not a crime. So before the Stolen Valor Act of 2013, I'll I'll get back to that. There was a Stolen Valor Act of 2005, and that was signed into law by President George W. Bush, made it illegal for people to falsely represent themselves as, quote, as having been awarded any decoration or medal authorized by Congress for the armed forces or any of the service medals or badges. So this one was actually overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court because they thought, well, they deemed it unconstitutional because it was just too broad in scope. And they felt like it was pushing up against freedom of speech where like, okay, somebody can stand out on the corner and try, you know, in a military uniform that they buy at some surplus store and misrepresent themselves. That's kind of just freedom of speech. They're allowed to say what they want to say. So it was written is just too broad. So that got overturned. It went through a process. And of course, people were like, well, we can't just not have anything. So in 2013, President Barack Obama signed into law the American Legion-backed Stolen Valor Act of 2013, which now makes it a federal crime for an individual to fraudulently hold oneself out to be a recipient of any of several specified military decorations or medals again, with the intent to obtain money, property, or other tangible benefit. So the penalties here, we're talking, you know, fines and can include up to six months imprisonment. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot, but what are we looking at here? We're looking at a low-level fraud, probably. However, the states can enact more strict laws if they see fit, and a lot of them have. So, you know, I, I think it can be incredibly frustrating. We talked about the there's the perpetrator involved here, but who is the victim? And I think looking at, is this a victimless crime or not, is something that's intriguing because 
if they're taking money from a system or they're taking money from an organization, of course, that's who the crime is against. But what about these indirect victims who are people who served, are people who did earn these medals, and they feel like their valor is stolen? That's where we get the, the term. So it's really neat to kind of look at. We have the perpetrator. We have these people who feel victimized by it. And then you have people like us that are not in the military that maybe wouldn't know the difference if we saw someone walking through an airport in uniform, like what patches they're supposed to have where or whatever. To see that sort of, th- that was when, something I never thought about in all of this. Like, how does that all play? Is this a platform in which there needs to be some education to people like us of what is really going on out there? And who are we glorifying? Who do we salute? You know, I, of course, it's not, a, it, we're doing it out of the goodness of our heart. We're not right. going to be like, you know, it, it's not our fault um, if someone's duping us. But just to think about the ripple effect of stolen valor is uh, something that that I really dwelled on during all of this research. Yeah, I think it's an interesting place to be because my perspective shifted. I think I actually take it probably more seriously now for that somewhat intangible loss. You know, it's not a material loss, but reading these articles and the research and how passionate these people are about cleaning the record really appeals to something in me professionally. And I mean, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like it may be that maybe too much of me being a gatekeeper for because it's like I just tried to draw a parallel. Like if there was somebody, well, hell, I won't name names, but you and I have had this conversation. Please don't. <laughs> because I because look, I, I do this in mental health. Like when I totally. find somebody is lying about their credentials and they're lying about their publishing history and they're lying about where they worked and whether or not they got fired or promoted, that pisses me off because I think it disrespects all the other mental health professionals who work their asses off. And when I made that parallel, I was like, oh, I get exactly what these guys are talking about. Absolutely. To, to the extent that I can, because I haven't been in a, a war arena. You know, like if the, for those who right. have actually been there fighting on the front lines or in danger and and had injuries as a result, like that takes it to a completely different level. And I can understand why their colleagues would be really upset about it. Even if they had not had injuries, there's a a kinship and a brotherhood within the military structure that wants to respect that. So I get it. I mean, I feel like I get it to the extent that I can. Yeah, same. I mean, obviously there's bigger stakes in the case of military stolen valor, but yeah, you and I know what it feels like to sit there and kind of have our stomach turn because we're like, wait a minute, uh, who is, uh, is this person calling themselves a psychologist? Well, not everybody who went, you know, and got a master's or you can call themselves psychologists. And you, yes, you, there's many, many text exchanges between you and I many, of, many. you know, this sort of thing, but it, it is because it, it hits a nerve with us because we have put in the work, we have done it and we hold ourselves to those types of standards. Right. So I think we get a little, a little taste of what they're experiencing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a parallel. It's not exact, but it made me, it it shifted my perspective. So talking about sort of a little bit more background, but going into the psychology of what's going on, I found a great dissertation by now Dr. Elishua Weiss. It's back from 2016 and she was a doctoral candidate in criminal justice. And this was a really, really well-written dissertation, and I've linked to it. You can read it for free. She 
is a military uh, spouse. Her husband is in the military and she got introduced to this concept and then found it so interesting that she wanted to do her dissertation about it. She conducted a review of 68 people who had been outed for having falsified their military history. And then she used a content analysis within the interviews to extract data for commonality and kind of running some stats. So she found that although the results were not generalizable, that many people who have served the military may falsify their military history. But this sample is not random, and therefore the findings can't be generalized to the entire military impersonator population. And there is a military impersonator population that may or may not have a military background. So she reviewed everything that was available, which was not a lot as far as academic papers, but she was able to find a lot of terms on Google about stolen valor. So there were about half a million results. The term military imposter got about 455,000 results. CIA imposter got 123,000 hits. Navy SEAL imposter got 38,000 hits. So those are actually the three top uh, impersonation attempts as well, is military imposter, but then specifically CIA and Navy SEAL, even though CIA is not military, it's a government agent. And it's because it's, I guess they think it's because it's uh, secretive that it's more interesting. Uh, Well, it's secretive. And then when you look at CIA and Navy SEAL, like that's so elite. So it's even, you know, to be more impressive. Exactly. So what is so attractive about the military and American culture? Dr. Weiss has a really great perspective that in America, one way to be considered a good, respectable, honest, uh, committed, uh, trustworthy person, and to have increased opportunities available for job, for advancement, is to serve in the military. Now, whether or not that's actually true or not, That is sort of the overarching view of it. And honorably serving in the military can provide individuals who have completed their term appropriately to not only have respect in the community, but also significant benefits from the government. Now, those benefits can include college tuition, financial loans, a lot of services to like get you adjusted to life out of the military, like a lot of things available to you if you know how to access them. Lifetime medical treatment through the uh, department of the VA. And depending on what part of the country you're in, some VAs are really great and some are completely overloaded and, and trying to do the best they can, but not being able to do a very good job of it. But clearly, I'll give you an example specifically here about Southern California, well, not even Southern California, but really the state of California. In California, if you're a military veteran and you're applying to work for the state, the city, or the county, there's this process called banding. So you would submit your resume, give them all your background information, kind of click on the jobs that you might be interested in pursuing, the jobs that you might be right for, And they do this thing, they lump you into a band. So you're band one, two, three, four, five. And like for someone like me, my real movement through the bandings started accelerating when I got licensed. Like the minute I was licensed, I started moving faster and faster to get to the very top band. So someone who's a military veteran actually gets the top banding immediately, which is kind of cool. 
you know, because they may not have experience, you know, it doesn't mean that they have to get a doctoral degree or a nursing degree or a medical degree to move directly into service, but like they could get specialized training for working in IT and then they'd be able to go right into these jobs that pay really well and you can have a really, you know, you can have a really good benefits package that is actually exceeds what the military would give you. Okay, so now turning back to the idea of consequences for people who falsify their backgrounds in the military, there's a real difference in consequences. Active duty personnel versus people who are not currently serving. So if you engage in this this activity, military personnel are subject to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, but veterans and people who have not served at all are subject to civilian federal laws as well as state laws, which probably, depending on the egregiousness of the activity, may be very low, like down to a misdemeanor, you know, basically a slap on the hand. Although certainly the public shaming in all of these stories ends up being a really big deal. Punishments can be really severe under the UCMJ, and they can range from a dishonorable discharge and a forfeit of all pay and allowances and confinement for three years to a bad conduct discharge and forfeiture of pay and allowances and a six-month confinement. So under federal law, stolen valor is considered a misdemeanor, punished by not more than one year of county jail and a fine. So there, like you were saying earlier, there's a wide range. Yeah, I. it would be interesting to me of how many people are doing this who are still enlisted. I'm guessing not many. One, because the the punishment is so much more severe, but also they're still active. It's It would be easier to check with their supervisors and, you know, things like that. So, well, I think as we circle back around to some of the things that we started off with, one of the things that became very clear is that there are agencies now they're they're all talking to each other. When I say agencies, I mean, individuals, there's whole groups, there's actually whole forums on Reddit. There are individuals who say, Hey, I know you have access to this database. Who's this Yahoo sitting in Denny's in full uniform. He says he's this, he says he's this, and they'll get really quick results. I mean, these people are very passionate about this job. So one of the things that they say is that there was a huge uptick after 9-11. There was a huge uptick after any kind of major military event. A lot of guys, and what we should really just be really upfront about this, the vast majority are white men. I mean, you just, I was looking for examples of women and I couldn't find any examples of stolen valor in women. Yeah. So the, the post 9-11, sort of the mid 20 teens, and she did her dissertation in 2016. So I was like nodding my head at that point, because that's where I found a lot of the stuff that I'm going to talk about just in that, that period of time afterwards seemed to be really primed for this. Yeah. So as we were saying, like within versus outside the military, another profession that attracts a lot of imposters is the CIA because the central intelligence agency has agents that are to use Dr. Weiss's terminology. They are considered the Navy seals of the civilian world. So why is this? It's because both of these professions are performed under highly secretive circumstances, which benefits the impersonator, right? 
like the more mystery that they can tell, well, I can't tell you that or I'd have to kill you, that kind of thing. Right. Right. So it, they yeah. can talk about that. Well, it required a lot of secretive training and then they can make up a lot of stories that don't really have any way to be proven. Right. Sure. So that makes it a lot easier for someone who's running this con. So I think that the aspect of secretiveness is also appealing to the recipient of the scam because it makes them feel special. And I, I don't oh, want to, yes. I don't want to judge anyone who falls for this, but, and certainly in terms of romance scams, you're getting this attention. I mean, this, this guy that I was telling you about earlier, really good looking guy, you know, you've over a period of 20 years, you see him as a young soldier, you know, tatted up, really muscular, really handsome. He's still a good looking guy. And all of these scammers yanked his pictures offline. And so he's approaching these women that are sort of not necessarily particularly youthful or attractive. I mean, I want to be very careful about saying that, but just on a basic most, you know, your level of attractiveness is usually met by the partner that you meet in life. That's generally the way it works. Sure. So to, when you see a huge disparity and this, you know, this muscular hunk is sending you all these shirtless pictures and you start sending them $500 iTunes gift cards, you know, come on, there's a disparity there that's really sure. not going to bear out in the real world. So I really think that that aspect of like, I'm in this special relationship with this person who is so special and they're a patriot and they're doing something to save the world, but we can't talk about it and it's all secret. Mm-hmm. I think that that creates like a really sort of enmeshed relationship. Certainly from one side, the other side, it doesn't even exist. It's just a con. Yeah, I mean, and it might not even be that he's just going to the, well, I can't tell you anything, and that's keeping his con going, but it even could be like, you know, a little bit of leakage of telling her some things, you know, well, you know, like this is kind of pillow talk, and I'm not supposed to say this, but blah, 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 you know, and just pulling the person in more. Right. So a great example is a a really good um, action comedy movie called uh, True Lies. Oh, yes. Jamie Lee Curtis and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Really fun, clever movie uh, years ago. I mean, many, many years ago, but wickedly funny. And there is a whole subplot in it where Bill Paxton at his sleazy, cheesiest best is a romance scammer in real life. And he he picks up women at bars and on this on the street, I think he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis on the street and sort of implies to her that he's a CIA agent. And of course, it's right. all bullshit. He just uses it to to meet women. So yeah, that's pretty funny. When Doctor Weiss was able to pull information about a CIA impersonator and really that had been interviewed about why they were engaging in this, he said his reasons were just uh, it was greed and a sense of excitement. And it was like, he felt like it was almost something like having an addiction. So getting something over on someone was giving him some sort of thrill, which really kind of goes over into the area of sociopathy, psychopathy, because there's a very limited range of emotional expression and affect in individuals who are diagnosed with this condition and they need, so on that range of emotions, that's where you're going to feel it is like, oh, I fooled them. I mean, it's the Machiavellianism. Right. So, you know, the the dark triad stuff, we're seeing it again here, definitely. So there's an entire hierarchy of medals and commendations within military that I'm not even going to touch because it's so complex. 
And it has a fascinating history of its own that Dr. Weiss covers very well in their dissertation. But the most common abuse of medals or commendations is called the Medal of Honor. And one of the reasons for that is that there's definitely a financial reward involved with many long-term benefits. So someone who gets the Medal of Honor is going to get a monthly pension from the Department of Veterans Affairs. They're going to get an increase in standard retirement pay if they retire from military. They get travel on military air transportation when there's space available. And Medal of Honor recipients can wear their uniform wherever and whenever they choose. They also are given a Department of Defense identification card, allows them to use the military commissary theater privileges and the post exchange. So it's basically all the benefits that are on any any military base. They basically have free reign to come in and use all of those benefits. Like forever after they've retired. Right, exactly. God, wow. And I know, it's a lot. It's a lot. And then the children of Medal of Honor recipients can attend a military college of their choosing if they qualify. That's That's a very big deal. So they can can attend a military college and that's free. So they're going, it's paid for. And then, you know, of course, they have to pay it back by being in the military. But still, that's a very plum honor position to get. They can attend presidential inaugurations and they get a specialized headstone for um, their gravesite when they die. Mm -hmm. So once again, just more information about what might drive an individual to be something in the community and in their own self-identification more than just a grunt, a, you know, a private that does completely honorable and wonderful work during their military career and then retires, that is completely fine, but it may not be enough for some of these people. So why? Like, what would be the underpinning for that? I mean, we've, we've talked about like wanting it, but what makes them want this kind of uh, acknowledgement and this sort of veneration in the community. So Mark Feldman, a psychiatrist who specializes in factitious disorder, has a perspective on stolen valor. And he thinks that it really is a version of factitious disorder in, in many cases, that the role of patient is well-defined in our society. And one of the appeals of patienthood is the special dispensation. We reduce our expectations of that person and we give them attention. So in this framework, the role of the veteran is attractive to men, primarily white. Now, isn't that interesting? Because it's an, almost like a, a contradiction of what we're talking about, right? Yes, yes. But I am following that with this, especially if we're talking like wounded warrior yes, yes. stuff, right? So there, there is this overlap with fictitious disorder. Go back and listen to our Munchausen episode. That's what we're talking about here. Um, where the attention and admiration is because of that injury, whether it be physical or psychological, I'm guessing too, because people could be faking PTSD and all sorts of things, military-related, combat-related. Right. And remember, a lot of these honors come because you got wounded. Sure. Right. So like, there's always the implication that you took on this this wound for the protection of your country. And I really love this quote by New Yorker author, Rachel Monroe. She says, most stolen valor cases don't involve master criminals, but rather average men who want to be treated as if they were extraordinary. Beautiful. Rachel yeah, I, I think that wrap, that sort of encapsulates all of it because it's a really a need for admiration and respect, sympathy and attention. Respect is of great importance in society 
And in some levels of society, it's even the currency that people use to move through urban communities, right? You got like respect is ingrained in Western culture, whether or not it's true respect. And certainly one person can have a very different definition of respect, but it's sort of this overarching concept that these guys really are attached to. So why do you need and want so much respect? Probably because you're coming from someplace as a kid where you didn't get it or it never developed appropriately, or you never got out of that stage of sort of emotional growth. And now you're trying to make up for it two decades later. And it's across the board here in the United States. You could be in any neighborhood, in any business. And if you have that uniform on, perfect strangers are going to see you a little different. You know, you're going to carry yourself a little differently and they're going to give you respect. I can't think of anything else like that. I know. Like I, look, I treated myself. Maybe firefighters. Everybody loves a firefighter. Everybody loves firefighters. I was traveling recently and I, a couple of years ago, right before quarantine hit, I splurged on a credit card with a fee. I usually don't use fee credit cards, but the benefit from the fee on this credit card was that I could use the lounge for flying, which is kind of amazing, like to go and be able to decompress at the airport both ways. And one of the things that I think American Airlines does, and that's probably some other airlines do as well, is that if you're in the military, all you got to have is your active military card and you're allowed in. And I remember kind of being in line and these these three kids walked past me and I'm not like a tall guy, but they're maybe two inches shorter than me. I was like, who are these kids with their backpacks? And then I realized they were military. And immediately I felt a shift in my perspective of like, absolutely go first. And by the way, oh my God, you're so young. Oh my God, you're so young. That just, I mean, that's a whole other discussion, but Anyway, I was really happy that that in some levels they get that kind of respect. And in the past, I've like bought drinks for for them as well. But now I don't want to do that because I never know if they're actually 21 or not. So true. But that's a kind of a cool thing. So being admired and respected by people who provide you a wrapped and focused audience is very, very attractive. Very intoxicating. Right. And so an individual's need to feel special different. I love that Dr. Weiss uses this term unique, uniqueness. Military is a relatively small portion of the population and an even smaller portion serve in combat or war theaters. So adopting this false persona through impersonation may be a way to create a facsimile of that position, but of course, without doing any of the work or placing themselves in danger. So that's certainly my perspective. But Dr. Weiss also makes a really interesting connection that's specific to Western culture, particularly American culture. And she says that some people crave admiration and respect to a level that they will do anything to receive it, especially since heroism seems to have been confused with celebrity and popularity in American society since the 1970s. And fame and fortune seem to be what many people are striving for. This may be in part due to the American dream, quote unquote, which implies that in the U.S. people can improve themselves economically if they work hard. Some people want to reap the benefits without performing the actual work, or they try reaching their goals in an illegal manner, such as falsifying documents just to attain benefits that they're not entitled to. And this is all contained within what's called strain theory. So strain theory in sociology is the proposal that pressure derived from social factors such as a lack of income or a lack of quality education 
drives individuals to commit crime. So I think it's very interesting as like, it's sort of this version of the Protestant work ethic, which I used to think uh, was only sort of a superficial level of like, oh, Protestant work ethic is that, you know, you work hard and you have maybe sometimes unrealistic expectations about what you're going to get back just because you worked. But the real underlying premise is that, which is more dangerous, is that you work hard and if you don't work hard, then you're worthless. That your your whole worth, your self-identity, your self-value is based on how much you're able to accomplish regardless of the challenges that you're facing. So I think that this is all wrapped up in a very interesting way. And maybe it just gets overwhelming for some people who have more of a need. So they just create it. Maybe. Right. I mean, there, there's a lot of layers there specific, you know, it, even with Dr. Weiss talking about the fame and fortune that people seek here in America, you know, the the um, shortest, easiest way to get rich. It, a lot of this, there's a lot of overlap and layers to it. And then bringing in strain theory is really, really interesting too, because we are talking about crimes here. If they're committing, if, if they're posing... Posing as military to have some financial gain, then yeah, it's it's fraud. Yeah. So there's a lot going on with Dr. Weiss's theories here. Yeah. So she points out that one of the underlying issues would be inadequacy. So inadequacy in her, I don't know if I necessarily draw the parallel that she does that inadequacy means imposter syndrome, but I like that she does point out that many successful and accomplished individuals can suffer from imposter syndrome. And that is believing that they're just faking it. They've got everybody fooled. They don't really know what they're doing, but they're just Mm -hmm. kind of falling upward through life. Mm -hmm. That is very different from actually feeling inadequate and being kind of an actual imposter, (laughs) right? An actual imposter, right? (laughs) People who either create their whole military history or embellish their existing military record, they're dishonest about their service and they have a tendency to act in unethical manners and commit crimes very much unlike those that have imposter syndrome you know in other fields that are not falsifying they just have an underlying sense that they're not accomplishing everything they should mm-hmm. accomplish so i feel very strongly that diagnostically it's all going to come from personality disorders sure. whether or not it's full blown or not it's going to be maybe flavors or tendencies or traits as we would say Um, One of the hallmarks of cluster B personality disorders is a tendency towards dramatic, melodramatic aspects of interpersonal relationships, uh, usually toxic versions of interpersonal relationships. And there's a tendency to have a type of expansive and grandiosity in their presentation and affect. So while histrionic, God, we've got to get them to change the name of histrionic. Like that is, it's just got to change. I know, I know. What should we change it to? Uh, I don't know. Let's get suggestions from the <laughs> listeners. You you know what I, I know everybody out there knows what I'm talking about. It's very misogynistic to use that term. Yeah. Um, but we'll use it for purposes because we don't have anything else for right now. Histrionic, borderline, and narcissistic may have a tendency towards a skewed version of reality where the actual intent it is not necessarily to lie, but to manage and organize an interior experience and a reality that really is not congruent with their external world. So intentionally lying, however, is a hallmark of antisocial personality disorder or ASPD. And all of these things that we're talking about contain symptoms that are conducive to lying 
mm-hmm. pretending that they're better than they really are in order to maintain a well-developed, but actually ultimately an immature emotional defense mechanism. So, right. And if they, you know, some of the hallmarks of those cluster B personality disorders are that, you know, they really don't proceed well when there is abandonment or rejection. You can see them going these extra lengths with these extra stories to kind of draw people in and suck them in um, and make them feel sorry for them. You know, we often see like playing the victim to keep people around, to keep them sucked into their stuff. And if they're a wounded warrior or, you know, have these problems, it can conveniently explain away some of their inconsistencies or their just their the problematic interpersonal stuff that goes on in the relationship but then you know don't blame me it's my condition from the military yeah absolutely so narcissistic personality disorder has a lot of grandiosity a definite need for attention and a real lack of empathy for other people aspd antisocial personality disorder shows some similarities with narcissistic personality disorder when it comes to manipulative behaviors. Like I'm going to, like you were saying, that sort of Machiavellian, my road through life is a means to an end, regardless of the people or the challenges that come in the way. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I need to do to get my needs met. Mm -hmm. And then we do want to look though at antisocial personality disorder as being separate because of the lack of regard for laws and the continuous breaking of them. So as much as I'm kind of lumping these together, you don't see individuals with borderline personality disorder just flagrantly breaking laws. That doesn't really happen. And narcissistic individuals wouldn't because they would, why would they want to necessarily break laws? They might not feel that they're subject to those laws, but hey, you know, I have an image to protect. I'm not going to break that. ASPD, very, very different. But interestingly, you use the term, you kind of took my lead, Munchausen syndrome. So when we were talking about factitious earlier, Munchausen is a disorder, as we've talked about in our previous episodes. It's on the spectrum of factitious disorders, and it's differentiated from malingering because malingering is completely intentional, like we're saying with that ASPD. But with Munchausen, it doesn't necessarily have to have that particular aspect. People who fit that criteria of Munchausen, they can fake medical symptoms, they can pathologically lie, and usually live a life of changing locations and geography so that no one is ever in the position of actually being able to put together the lies that they have been creating their persona on. These typical patients are very inclined to have a criminal record and display sociopathic behaviors during their lifetime. So many of these aspects are present in examples of military stolen valor. And though I'm not completely convinced that we should just immediately lump all the stolen valor perpetrators as Munchausen, because I don't want to give them that much leeway. It actually is very interesting that Carl Friedrich Hieronymus von Munchausen was a veteran, and he was known for these stories about his military career. Oh, that's right. So that's a bit ironic. Full circle, Yeah, it does come full circle. Yeah, no. I don't I don't know about this. I mean, I guess it would really have to come down to intent. And I, I know we split lots of hairs over that when we talked about, you know, Gypsy Rose and her mom and was it the attention, but then they were getting all these benefits and all these financial. And look at the example you were just talking about, though, that guy that even yeah. though he's gone to trial, he will not back down. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Munchausen 
certainly in men and women, we talked about that. There's not a lot of cases of Munchausen that are as much in the news as with moms, you know, certainly females who have kids. But that's just an interesting concept. I hope somebody will do some more research on that. Yeah. Wouldn't it be crazy if we found out that Munchausen was way more prominent with men, but it was in this way? You know how like we didn't know men suffered from depression as much as women until pretty damn recently in psychology. And then we just realized, oh, it's just different symptoms that they have. Right. You know, there are revelations in psychology like that all the time. What if Munchausen's with women is you know, these classic things we think about with men, it might be stolen valor. That okay. would be crazy. You guys who doctoral students who's out, who are looking for dissertation topics that please. This is what this, we do now. We're at our point in our career. We're yes. like, here, just here's an idea. Run do something with it. Because we're not. <laughs> so one brief one that we can get away from very quickly is psychosis. And psychosis certainly is a condition where you uh, perceive the world radically different from objective reality as a result of chemical imbalance, drug use, or um, organic brain structure. And that is very rare. Now, there are cases of delusion, and certainly in an active delusion and active psychosis, individuals can think that they are spies. They can think that they're getting messages from the government, from the president. I have you know, been in the room when I'm doing evaluations and someone is just making outlandish claims. The difference here is that this person is so low functioning that you would never for a second believe that this 20-year-old individual who, who is saying that he's a veteran of Vietnam, right? I mean, so right, that just right. doesn't match up. Yeah. But when we go back and we think about that term uniqueness, there's a great concept of counterconformity. So if a person's motivation is to be different from somebody else, this is called counterconformity. And if a person fits the counterconformity motivation, they may pretend to have served and performed extraordinary acts, which then distinguishes them from the rest of the world who has not experienced those same events or accomplishments. So counterconformity can also present in the ways that former military are now merging into these new identities and media and politics. Mm-hmm. And there's an implied level of expertise and valor that may or may not be present. And anybody reading the news, I mean, there was a, this was really happening about two and a half years ago that many of the talking heads, well, I shouldn't say many, there was a significant number of talking heads on all of the news networks that were later found to not have any of the military expertise that they claimed they had and been talking as experts, you know, from both sides of the political spectrum, um, which is interesting to me that they didn't vet them before they got them in front of the camera. Exactly. Is counterconformity always, does it always indicate that someone is being dishonest about the drive? Because I'm thinking of people who, do want to be different or do want to be unique or do things that a lot of other people. Yeah. I I don't think so. I think that, I think that counterconformity can be seen in very positive lights. It doesn't have to always mean that it's a criminal activity or, you know, going for secondary game, you know, just, I, it always, when I hear the use of the prefix counter, I always think of counterphobic of, Mm. you know, people who in an unhealthy manner can run towards danger in their lives, run towards conflict because they're so, uh, they've been traumatized in their past and their coping mechanism for dealing with fear is to get it over with as soon as possible. And they can be very reactive and very sort of challenging and unreasonable in their interpersonal relationships 
And, you know, it can be a real challenge. It's certainly very difficult to treat. But counter just means that it's the individual is doing something that is counter to the expected norms. Mm -hmm. But counterconformity, like every amazing artist is sort of a counterconformist, right? Because they're, they're exploring a different way of perceiving the world. Sure, sure. Other issues, we're looking at dishonesty and unethical behavior. So in Stolen Valor, it's clear that the behavior that's portrayed by these impersonators, it's it's not ethical, it's not honest. And in general, from many studies in sociology, in psychology, people tend to be truthful. It's mm-hmm. just easier. I love, although I love the old Roseanne bar line, she's like, I'd tell the truth, but it just takes so long. It's just easier to lie. <laughs> True. <laughs> Most people are usually honest while only a small group of people of in, or a small group of individuals lie on a regular basis. Frequent liars were found to cheat for personal benefit more often, and they displayed more psychopathic tendencies. They perceived deception in a less negative light. So they didn't see anything wrong with what they were doing, which see, this is what sense. I would expect. This this is what I was talking about, where I think that definitely where it's just sort of that personal benefit, that feeling that lights up inside of them feels more psychopathic or personality disordered to me right. than the monetary type benefits. That's yeah, I, I think I yeah, I definitely agree. I came across a really interesting piece to all of this where that time period we're talking about, like post 9-11, mid-20-teens, that there was really this trend, especially with people using YouTube a little bit more around that time, where videos were going viral of calling people out for their stolen valor. And there's a fantastic podcast called Reply All. Um, I think it's part of the Gimlet Network that covers this, and they play some of the audio on it. But basically, real veterans started calling people out who were pretending to be military personnel, filming it, and or writing about it on blogs and forums, and really sort of banding together on the internet. Some were saying like, hey, let's investigate this. You were talking about sort of those little groups that could look up people and kind of crowdsource like information about somebody to see if they're legit or not. So there's that group, but there's also a group that was just really wanting to embarrass and humiliate these people as some sort of retaliation for it. In these videos, they usually start where the person who's filming will casually engage with the person in uniform, maybe even saying like, oh, hey, my kid really likes... uh, you know, the military, can you say hello to him and being super friendly and having, you know, sort of postulating of like, oh, you're amazing, you know, inflating their ego a little bit. And then once they start engaging with them, just like hitting them with like, oh, where'd you do your time? Where'd you do your boot camp? What operations were you in? Why is your patch like that? Um, And then with every stumble, clarifying, oh, well, you need, I don't even know the verbiage, right? But like, you have to have three different operations to be counted as part of that and just spouting it off. And then basically it turns into yelling, stolen valor, stolen, like there's this mantra that kind of goes with it, you know, pointing and bringing it to the attention of everybody in the middle of the mall or wherever they're at. So it's, You can imagine how something like that in the world today with the type of quote unquote entertainment that goes on in viral videos, that it would just take off and totally be 
be viral. So there's a, a website, guardianofvalor.com, which was active in the mid-20-teens that looks like it probably hasn't been active since about 2018, but they would get 5 million hits a month on these videos. And the organizer of this particular website really did try to investigate each video that was sent to him to see if he could debunk or not, and was really trying to move and help legislation. So when the um, federal law in 2013 came out and some other state laws came out, they would actually consult with him and he testified as to, you know, what was really going on here. So again, I touched on earlier, the people that are really hurt by this and who it's deeply offensive to are those who have really served, who have really lost friends and family um, in combat and in the military and in the line of duty. Those have been wounded themselves, perhaps, you know, living with the suffering, the, the physical suffering, perhaps the psychology of coming back to civilian life, the hypervigilance, you know, if, if there's some PTSD involved, um, feeling a lack of control when you come back, the unfamiliarity with various types of situations. I mean, these are real lived experiences that folks are having, even when they're out of the military, getting back into home. And the intensity of dealing with these obstacles is not fun. So, you know, stolen valor being perpetrated by people who have not actually lived that life is deeply offensive to those folks. And I could see how this could be a way for them trying to take the power back a little bit and get these perpetrators back by calling them out, by putting them online. You know, that's very empowering to people. We see that a lot, especially with the internet, right? Like the dating sites of like, this guy's a total asshole. I don't know what those websites are, but where people will put up pictures of people that they've gone on dates with and sort of shaming them. We see that a lot. And I think it's, it's because this isn't something that someone can necessarily be charged with if they're not committing fraud this is a way in which to they feel like they're getting to express their anger, um, not necessarily right or wrong, but it's it's one outlet with the internet and videos, the way that they're passed around. That was what surprised me about that particular movement is you read the three main articles that we have talking about the three guys that are sort of legitimately doing this and one of them is talking about, yeah, this kind of got out of hand. And he even admits right. that he had not used the greatest judgment. But now it's like an episode of Punked. Like, who are totally. these kids that are chasing people around to the extent that, like, somebody could get hurt? Like, that's how ethical yes. is that? There's a way to do it and question without pe putting people in danger. Absolutely. And, and they've totally gotten out of hand. I mean, they are putting in people in danger. I was watching one where there was a guy dressed in a military uniform, basically with a sign like on the side of the road begging for money. And, you know, the the person who's filming is like, all right, here's what we're going to do. There's the guy over the, like really setting it up, just starts walking over to the guy in uniform who is scared of this person sort of charging towards him, spouting some stuff at him and is like running into traffic to get away from this guy. I mean, just that physical safety piece. But then there's been other less legit websites of this where people are sending in videos of clearly harassing folks with like developmental delays who 
might be playing dress up, you know, like a child would because they're really fixated and obsessed on the military, look up to the military, and they're being called out stolen valor when it's nothing of the sort. And it's clear from the video, which is just heartbreaking to full on, you know, accounts of people beating up other people in videos of this. So there's definitely sites with less ethical guidelines and aren't focused on law reform in this area. And Reply All highlighted a story of this 75-year-old Marine who is so proud that he can still fit in his uniform and he dresses up and puts it on at certain like community events um, and anything honoring veterans. But he was at some event and these two guys started filming him and shouting stolen valor at him, asking him where he went to boot camp. And he was kind of like, get out of my face. (laughs) He's 75 years old. Like he has to answer to anyone. And they followed him. He did the right thing and walked away and left. And these yahoos followed him for two blocks, completely badgering him verbally. Um, He said one of them, and I don't know how he knew this, but one of them was an off-duty cop and kept kind of like, touching his gun that was on his waistband. He's like, I thought I was going to die. Not necessarily that I was going to get shot, but what are these guys going to do? And I had just suffered a heart attack. I'm going to have another heart attack right now. Were they, and, did anything happen to those guys? Because that is absolute bullshit. That's well, not, like he was carrying a gun and like gesturing harassing. to it. I know. That's messed know. up. No, they, they didn't say, but it was just so heartbreaking to hear him say I haven't put my uniform on since. It's like they it's like they stole something from me. It was very they, very sad. They stole it from him. Yeah. Yeah. That's awful. Uh, yeah, definitely. But it's it's just it's it's really hard to hear some of these stories and how crazy it's gotten out of hand. And we know, you know, with even just like television shows that are on home videos and the like fail army and ridiculousness like they're hilarious, right? And like you said, like the jackass stuff, but are people just making content to try and get it out there? And that's absolutely the wrong reason to do it. I mean, I I understand the anger. I understand why people feel the way they do to the extent that I can, but be smart about how you're handling and managing that, certainly when really innocent people get involved here. So absolutely. It's it's interesting these this whole like trend of of video stolen valor videos um and where that's really gone. So you had a case study from one of our patrons. Yes, so I wanted to talk about a case study of stolen valor and this case was suggested by our friend and patron Adrian who is former military Um, and who we got to spend time with last night on our walk. So this is perfect timing. But this is a story of Shane Ladner. He was a 40-year-old police officer in Holly Springs, Georgia. And I'm going to open up the story on a day in November 2012, where there is a parade honoring veterans, and it's taking place in Midland, Texas. And Shane, a former U.S. Army serviceman, former National Guardsman, he travels to West Texas with his wife to ride on a float with other wounded veterans. And at about 4 p.m. in the evening, the float is heading to the parade route. The the flatbed tractor trailer that this float is on top of is crossing railroad tracks when a Union Pacific train collides with it. 
killing four people and severely injuring 16, including Shane's wife, Meg, who survives, but her leg has to be amputated. A horrific. I mean, you're already talking about a truck bed full of wounded warriors. And this awful, awful disaster happens. So Shane was in the army from 1990 to 1994. He reached the rank of sergeant and served in Honduras. He then became an army reserve until 1997 and then was part of the Army National Guard from 1999 to 2005. And he did, in fact, receive nine different military medals throughout his military career. However, after this horrific tragedy in Texas, extended family members start questioning Shane's military record And for years, he had led people to believe that he was a decorator war hero who had been wounded during a firefight in Central America after he joined the army, which was right out of high school. And he claimed that basically he woke up two days after this firefight with a purple heart pinned to his pillow. Now, I am not in the military, yeah. not former military, but I don't think it happens that fast. It doesn't happen like the tooth fairy coming to your bed. <laughs> I don't think they just pin it and then sneak away. (laughs) So first, like, what the fuck moment right there. Um, So he actually claimed that he was injured in an operation to capture Panama President Manuel Noriega. Probably haven't heard that name in a while. In 1989. But guess what? He was actually still in high school in Georgia in 1989. Or no, he, he was in Mississippi. He lived in Mississippi at the time. So after a lengthy investigation by Cherokee County Sheriff's Office, Shane gets arrested in June 2013. And he and his attorney come up with a story that, okay, the Noriega operation, that was a cover story for this really top secret mission that he was actually on in Honduras in 1991 when he got injured. Because that's what you always do is you make sure that the timeline doesn't even match up for your cover story. Right, right, right. Yeah, like a huge operation and then you were still in high school. Didn't think that one out very well. But so they're trying to say that basically he's fresh out of boot camp and he has this top secret clearance to do this top secret mission in Honduras. Again, not an expert on people's trajectory and military careers, but I'm guessing he wasn't top pick right out of boot camp as what, like a 19-year-old kid? So during the trial, there are nearly a dozen witnesses, including military personnel, and they all poke holes in his stories of these brave covert missions in Central America. He also said he had done some in Cuba and Somalia in the 90s. And the military personnel testified that no such missions even existed. And then the military doctor who ran the facility on the airbase reported that he was never injured. He's like, I would know, I would have record of this. He was never injured in combat. And he ends up getting convicted of six felony counts of making false statements for submitting a falsified DD-214 to his former employers and to the Cherokee County Tag Office, which is like the DMV, in order to obtain a tax-exempt Purple Heart license plate. So he is going for the gold, the top medal that you can get, Purple Heart. He wants that license plate so he doesn't have to pay for it. Uh, The charges also include lying to the Tag Office staff and lying to investigators about his service and his awards while he was in the Army. So he 
actually gets sentenced to 10 years, 60 days in which he must serve in prison. The rest he actually gets to do on probation because he was a first-time offender. He was a police officer at the time that this all went down. Oh, yeah. whoa. Yeah, he worked for Holly Springs PD in Georgia. Um, so he had a very clean record and he had to do 600 hours of community service, $1,500 in fines, over $6,000 in restitution to the county. And he was forbidden from ever possessing alcohol or firearms during his 10 years that he was going to be on probation. Wow. That's significant for Georgia. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Oh, Um, fun fact. Yeah. Um, inordinate amount of these stolen valor guys reside in Georgia. Interesting. Very interesting. Now, that may have been the pool that True. those study members were pulled from, but still, it was a significant huh. amount. Huh. Well, when he was sentenced, nine real wounded veterans attended his hearing to basically, you know, I say protest, but it wasn't like a, they weren't, they were just in the audience. Um Uh, to protest the stolen valor. And they said they absolutely did view themselves as victims of Ladner's actions. One of them was quoted as saying, this is not a victimless crime. He stole our honor. He stole our valor. End of story. So isn't this such a, obviously a terrible story, but isn't it terrible that he's lying about being a wounded veteran to get on this float. And then this tragedy happens where his wife gets gravely injured i mean well it's it's it it is terrible and it's so complex because in other stories you know there's some hapless dude who's a dork and you almost feel sorry for him because he's such a didn't think wannabe wannabe, (laughs) blah 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 and i kind of want to give that person some leeway but then how is that person any different like how many steps removed is this sort of conceptual person to your case study. How many steps removed is is he from, oh, well, I've created this persona, so I'm going to go be law enforcement, and I'm going to tell people that I did this. I'm going to tell my wife. I'm going to tell my family. And basically, like, he's lied to everyone. He's betrayed many, many layers of the community. Absolutely. Not just military. How much more privilege do you need than being a white man in law enforcement you know, with a real military career and some medals and decorations there, but like, because you need a purple heart plate and not to pay for it for your Ford F-150, really? And then the judge was like, you know, he basically said something to the effect of like, I can't believe that you're still lying about this. This would have to be a government conspiracy where all 12 people got up here on the witness stand and were like, Oh no, we don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Which he and his attorney just kind of dug in their heels going, see, it was such a secret mission. That yeah, we've got well, I mean, that's kind of an interesting defense. I mean, it is. It sounds like everybody can't really were they weren't gonna put up with it though. So all with having those people come forward and they really took it seriously. But then would you even get the purple heart or they'd be like, This never existed? Sorry, you were exactly. here, you don't get an award for it. Right, right especially not at 19 years old. So yeah, that, that would have been the dead giveaway. It looks like not only nine 11, but in the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, there were a surge of younger men who said that they were elite commandos. And in the weeks, um, just the weeks after the raids that killed Osama bin Laden, a lot of phony seal claims doubled. 
according to the most recent research. Yeah. Probably said they were all part of SEAL Team 6. Right. Exactly. Mm. It's very, it's fascinating to me. All this is very fascinating. I mean, that is a great case study. Thank you um, for the referral. I think that was really good. I, I got hooked on doing my research and going to military.com, which had all of these articles. I mean, they were about the people who were caught and like they're holding them. These are proven egregious. You know, this is not guys accosting a 75 year old man. That actually says something about them too. Like, Hey, shouldn't we be careful about this? You know, and interview him. But anyway, there, there are a lot um, that are listed just a handful is uh, a guy, Richard Molesky of Shalfort, Pennsylvania. He was con- ind- indicted for his scheme to defraud the VA. So he was getting health care, but monetary compensation for post-traumatic stress. He claimed he was uh, got in Beirut, where he was rescuing other troops. And all of it was fake. He had uh, pretended to be a Navy SEAL, Silver Star recipient, rec- prisoner of war, to collect more than $300,000 worth of free health care from the Veterans Affairs. Um, he finally pleaded guilty to charges, including healthcare fraud, stolen valor, and abetting illicit gun purchases. I mean, that, um, among everything else he was doing, getting the benefits and and the SSA disability, he, um, was found to have helped in the straw purchase of two different guns. And that means he was assisting buying them for someone who could not legally purchase them. And that is a big no-no Right. That's a major felony is buying for someone that you intentionally know cannot have access to guns. Yeah. Well, and law enforcement and military can also purchase guns that aren't available, types of guns and models of guns that aren't available to non-military or law enforcement. So the more complex example I found that I, I hope I can say this because it's it's confusing. Army Special Agent Criminal Investigator Major Matthew Goldstein he was leading the investigation of a Green Beret who was charged with the murder of an alleged Afghan bob maker. Major Matthew Goldstein, the criminal investigator, now faces charges of stolen valor. Whoa. So that, it was found that he had completely manufactured documents. He had lied about his path through the military and as a result, because he was so closely involved in that, that investigation, this other guy, this Green Beret, may get off on a murder charge. So once again, oh. like you were talking about sort of the unintended consequences of the flatbed truck incident, that's yeah. another version. Like this is how, how far it can go and people just don't um, consider it at all. Um, a very, another famous case was Matthew Farmer. He was a former soldier and he was the contestant on American Idol. And before his audition, he told the judges that an IED explosion in Iraq had left him with a traumatic brain injury. And although he had served in Iraq, he had not been injured at all. That's so there's right. I forgot about that one. Another one, which is sort of buried. Um, there's a really famous actor who passed away a few years ago. His name is Brian Dennehy. He was big in television. He'd done a few movie, movies. He's actually like a really famous stage actor. I saw him in Chicago do a couple of plays. Really, really, really gifted actor and yes. has kids and relatives that are actors. And it turned out that after he got really famous for playing Rambo's law enforcement antagonist in the movie First Blood, he had lied about obtaining combat wounds in Vietnam. So although he had served five years in the Marines, he never was in Vietnam. And he went public 
with an apology after he was accused in public. But this was long before computers and viral media going around. So he had it a little bit easier than most people that would have been involved in this. But again, I just think this is fascinating and way more complex than I had any idea. You know, I mean, I I think I'm being too emotional about judging one is like, oh, here's this hapless dude versus here's this guy that got his wife injured, right. you know, and really how different are they? And th- what is what is the potential for one to take on a responsibility or be in a position where other people could get hurt? And then the people that are engaging in this gotcha kind of catching right. of them, like if you're going to do it, do it right. Even the guy who started this whole trend has realized he needed to pull back. Yeah, it was a bit of a Pandora's box that got opened up and people do wacky things. That's what drives our podcast. You know, this is just another episode of like, this is a thing and looking at all sides of it, the the psychology of the people who are the perpetrators, the psychology of the people who see themselves as victims. And then, yeah, these other folks who are engaging and trying to right these wrongs in a vigilante sort of weird viral video way. (laughs) So yeah, stolen valor. What a concept. I'm like, we're going to have to follow up on our get vocal this weekend, maybe have some other examples and maybe we'll see if some folks can join us and tell us all the things we got wrong. But (laughs) for our, for our members, especially those with military experience, we'd love to hear your opinion. So please jump in if you can. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Well, can you believe it's the last week of June and, you know, summer's flying by and here we are. I just hope everyone's staying safe. Yeah, you guys, I don't want to be an alarmist, but I read the stats and, you know, I hope you're vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated, you should get vaccinated uh, because the Delta variant is coming and it's bad. And, you know... It's please take care of yourself. I think probably anybody that's listening to us is probably vaccinated, but um, please be careful and take care of yourself. Yes. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you next time on LA. Not so. Confidential. Bye, folks. Bye-bye. Sincerely, thank you for spending some time with us today. LA Not So Confidential is part of the Crawl Space Media Network, and each episode is hosted, produced, and edited by Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh. Our music, entitled Cool Vibes Film Noir, is utilized under a Creative Commons attribution license. Cool Vibes is composed and performed by the amazing Kevin McLeod, who graciously allows us to use this great piece of music. Please check out his YouTube channel at handle 1HMNC. All of the resources for each episode can be found on our website at www.la-not-so-confidential.com. You can find us on Instagram at LA Not So Podcast, on Twitter at LA Not So Pod, and on Facebook at LA Not So Confidential. Please hit subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Lastly, we'd be honored if you joined our Patreon at patreon.com slash LA Not So Podcast so you can be the first notified about upcoming live events, social gatherings, and super cool swag coming your way. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.